Um, wasn't quite sure uh, as this week began uh, what or where I would go with this passage from Philippians chapter 3. Uh, but as I do on most mornings, I, I get up relatively early. I spend um, probably a somewhat unnecessary $1.89 at Starbucks for my coffee. And I drive around a bit. Uh, I, I love those mornings. I, I talk to God. I think about God. I enjoy Him, uh, His handiwork. And uh, uh, on, on Monday, it, as I was doing that, it was like, okay, I felt like I had some direction as to what to do with this passage, uh, Philippians 3, verses 1 to about 11. And it's, this morning, it's going to be a conversation um, about resumes. Um, in our society, a good resume has become almost a necessity. Uh, even high school students already in grade 10, 11, and 12 may be doing certain things and actually building their resume. I know nowadays they don't use that word. They might use the word CV, curriculum vitae. Sounds like such an odd phrase, so I'll stick with the resume. Um, at times, people will even do certain things or they'll volunteer in certain um, activities because it will look good on their resume. And there are many Creekside people who are currently either updating or upgrading their resume, and I actually applaud that initiative. We all know, however, that a good resume doesn't guarantee you anything. But it may get you shortlisted if uh, it's a job you're looking for. Um, it may get you an interview. And in the interview, the employer will judge whether who you are is as impressive as what you know or perhaps your experience. From a per purely earthly, practical perspective, your resume is a valuable document. So people put stock in it, people put hope in it, people may even put confidence in the quality of their resume. If Paul had created his resume prior to his encounter with Jesus, he likely would have cut and pasted Philippians 3, verses 4 to 6. And his resume was impressive. And it truly put him, you might say, at the top of the pile. It was not one of those resumes you might have discarded immediately filed into that other place. For Paul, his resume put him at the top of the heap. And so this passage this morning is very much Paul-centric. It's about Paul in terms of its content. It's Paul talking about himself. But it is church-focused. It is for you and me in terms of its message. If Paul was to sort of highlight things in his own resume, it would be things like this. Number one, citizen of Israel. 
You might say, born and raised, I can trace my ancestry to the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised eight days after birth. I even have physical evidence that I am not only a Jew, but also a child of God. Paul would say, I was a Pharisee, a teacher, and an interpreter of the law, and I studied under a man named Gamaliel. So he even named drops. I'm assuming he would have been a good teacher, this fellow that Paul studied under. So that Paul had both religious, social, judicial, and even political clout. Paul would say, I kept the law religiously. I was a righteous man. Probably, like most of the Pharisees, saw things pretty black and white. Letter of the law kind of man. Number five, he would say, I was incredibly zealous. We today might actually call him somewhat radicalized. That he truly persecuted the church. And in Acts 22, verse 3 to 4, when Paul was actually brought in front of, I'll call them his colleagues, other Pharisees. And this would be after his encounter with Jesus. He tells these Pharisees who he is, and he says, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, and I was brought up and educated here in Jerusalem under Gamaliel. As his student, I was carefully trained in our Jewish laws and customs. I became very zealous to honor God in everything I did, just like all of you talking to the Pharisees today. And I persecuted the followers of the way. I persecuted those who said Jesus was the Messiah, hounding some of them to death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in prison. And his audience, the Pharisees, would have said, whew, way to go. Paul would say that before he met Jesus, this was who he was. He would say, this defined me. My resume pretty much defined me. I took pride in my resume. It gave me influence. It gave me prestige. It gave me power. And I was assuming that God was not only impressed with my resume, he was pleased with me. That Paul might have said at that point, I think I'm probably deserving of God's favor. Paul's point in highlighting his resume was not to impress the Philippian church, but rather to declare that his resume had absolutely no value in terms of being acceptable to God or in terms of becoming a child of God. And if he was to hold it up, he would probably rip it up. 
Paul would say that all his accomplishments, all his education, all his power, all his influence, though well-intentioned, and I was talking with Neil, who was working at the media desk this morning, about how it is that Paul, who he quite literally believed he was doing what God wanted him to do before he met Jesus. And it's like God knew this man needs to find and experience the reality of Jesus. And when Paul meets Jesus in a way that God orchestrated, Paul embraced Jesus and the Christian life and the gospel with the same zealous heart that he had persecuted the church with before. And so Paul takes his resume, holds it up, and he uses it to warn the church against those who wanted to take them back to a form of religion that Paul would have come from, a form of religion that kind of man can dictate, man can judge, and man can control. In the New Testament, you might say it's a form of religion, but lacking in power. And at times when Jesus spoke, it's so interesting to me that the crowds who listened to Jesus were amazed because he spoke with power and authority, unlike the Pharisees. Philippians 3, verse 2 to 4, and here's the warning to the Philippian church. Watch out for those dogs. And in case his audience thought he was referring to dogs, He says, those people who do evil, those mutilators of the flesh, who say you must be circumcised to be saved. It's interesting that in his resume before meeting Jesus, he highlights the fact that he was circumcised. After his encounter with Jesus, he calls that a mutilation. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort. You might say as children of God, the surgery we have undergone is a surgery of the heart. It's a surgery of our mind. It's not a surgery of the body. That our faith does not come with certain external add-ons attached to it. So Paul would say, put no confidence in even your spiritual heritage. Doesn't guarantee you anything. Put no confidence in some outward appearance. It's of no value. Put no confidence in how religiously you follow man-made rules. 
hoping that your spiritual resume is pleasing enough to somehow earn God's favor. Paul says to the Philippian church, that was me, that was the way I lived, that's the way I thought. And Jesus opened my eyes, Paul would say, to this facade of self-righteousness. And I now know, Paul would say, how misguided I was. Jesus had very few good words for Pharisees. I sometimes wonder, were there some Pharisees who were like good people? I don't know. They always butt heads, philosophies, ways of thinking with Jesus. In Matthew 23, verse 27, when talking to the Pharisees, Jesus said to them, For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity." It was Jesus saying to them, you actually clean up well in public. But it's not who you are in private. Nor does it represent the condition of your heart. You delight in passing judgment on others and fail to see that your own heart is full of deception. It's full of impurity. It's full of arrogance. You don't see it. So Paul pleads with the leaders of the Philippian church, don't let anyone take you back to that kind of understanding of what it means to be a child of God. Yes, we are to work hard to prove our faith genuine, and we talked about that last week. Paul says to work hard to show that your faith actually is genuine. We do not work hard to prove that we earned it. Philippians 3, 7 to 9, this would be Paul talking about his initial resume. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ, become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends not on our works, not on our resume, depends on our faith. And I wondered if Paul was to update his resume, if he was to rewrite it after his encounter with Jesus, what would it look like? What would Paul put on his resume? And probably a better question would be, would Paul even want to write his own spiritual resume? 
he may not. So I've jotted a few things down that I thought maybe would be on Paul's updated resume. You may say things like this, you know what, I realize my own righteousness looks like dirty laundry. The best I can muster up in terms of righteousness is filthy rags. My own education, which would have been education in religious thought, was completely misguided. My ancestry is actually a guarantee of nothing. And he might say those things, those three things I just mentioned, I had them on my original resume, but I was messed up and confused about them. But he may have things like this. I believe God's people are from every tribe and nation. It's a beautiful thing. I believe in the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe the church is God's kingdom here on earth. I'm willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. In fact, I'm willing to die for the sake of the gospel. I simply want to follow, I want to serve, I want to know Jesus. I believe I will not die, but will receive the gift of eternal life. Paul's original resume, the one that stated all his accomplishments, he embraced it with his whole heart, and somehow that resume made it acceptable to kill those who thought differently. Paul's new resume as a reborn child of God meant he was willing to die in order to serve, to follow, and to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. You might say his new resume was really a resume of his heart and his mind before God. I don't know if you ever think about your own spiritual resume. I've never really given it much thought. If you were, what would come to your mind? Are you resting on laurels that actually have no value? Is your confidence resting on something you have done or are trying to do or are currently doing? Paul would say, don't let a mindset of earning God's favor creep into your life. And I think it can do that very subtly. The sense that, well, you know what, I think God must be pretty pleased with me. I think there's such a beautiful truth in what Paul is proclaiming to the Philippian church. 
I think we need to understand it in order to understand and actually experience the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. All of us come to God carrying the same resume. We walked into church this morning carrying the same document. And it might say at the top, my spiritual resume. And what it is is a sheet of paper with nothing on it. Absolutely nothing on it. And I find that truth 100% liberating. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how much you've served, even within the church of God, that's our spiritual resume. There's nothing on it. As Paul would say, it actually leaves... No room for boasting. It leaves no room in the church of God for comparison. And Paul would say, you know what? I boast only in God. I know that I bring nothing of value of my own that somehow makes me pleasing in the eyes of God. So I simply humbly come and ask God, give me the faith just to follow you, to be your child. So if you're putting stock, if you're putting hope, if you're putting confidence in anything else, Paul would say you're actually putting confidence in your own effort. And if that is what you're counting on, I think you're going to experience what I'll call spiritual anxiety. Am I doing enough? Am I good enough? And Paul would say you need to throw away, throw it away, throw away that kind of thinking. You might say, well, Doug, what about all the years of faithfully serving the church of God? All those years being a youth sponsor, singing in the choir, being on worship team. All those years of helping in children's church. or All those years helping us set up Creekside. Are you saying there's no value? And Paul would say, none of that makes us acceptable to God. But Paul would say all of that is an example that you are working out your faith. All of that means your faith is genuine, that your heart is to serve God in his church. But we are only acceptable to God because of what Jesus has done for us. I believe if we're truly willing to come empty-handed before God, we will begin to experience the freedom that is ours in Christ Jesus. 
Paul says to the church, I simply want to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. It's God's offer to us again this morning. It's Paul's challenge to us this morning. Don't even pretend to bring anything else with you. God simply says, humbly come before me, acknowledge me as God. Know that I love you. Know that I sent my son Jesus who died in your place. I have set you free. I have welcomed you into my family. Not because of anything you've done. Undeserved grace, undeserved favor of God. Philippians 3, verse 8 to 11, Paul says this, For his sake, for the sake of Jesus Christ, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith, and I want to know Christ. I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. This last Thursday, or was it Friday? Might have been Friday. (laughs) I was at a funeral for a man of God related to to Eva, my wife. The funeral was such an unbelievable church service. This man was very well known. And there was probably seven or eight hundred people there. And really the... The funeral was such an amazing celebration of the power of the resurrection. A celebration of the hope that lies within every one of us as a child of God. It was unbelievable. We finished the service by singing, How Great Thou Art. And there were most of the songs I didn't sing. I just observed and listened. And quite literally had goosebumps about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This fellow's name was John Thiessen. And he has spent his life uh, doing many things. But he has spent almost all, he spent almost all his life singing. Over 40 years ago, he sang when Eva and I were married in Winnipeg. Last year, he sang when Eva's mom passed away. And probably in between that time, he sung hundreds, maybe thousands of weddings and funerals. But you know, when John Thiessen passed from death to eternity, brought nothing with him. And I think it's amazing. The day he passed away, 
he had sung at a funeral that morning. And I guess when they were realized during the day that John wasn't where they expected him he would be, and they found him uh, beside a barn. That God had taken him so quickly. It reminds me of the passages in the Gospels where people say, well, yeah, you know what? Yeah, I want to follow you, but I've got some stuff I want to do or get or whatever. John Thiessen had no time to get anything. You might say he didn't even have a blank sheet of paper. And yet, John Thiessen brought with him everything. He brought with him the fullness of Jesus Christ and the righteousness of Christ on his behalf. He brought with him everything. You know, this morning, I simply want to remind us as a church, as people, No longer, no matter how long we've been part of the church, no matter how long we've been children of God, we need to make sure we keep that piece of paper blank. Don't be tempted to add things to it to make yourself feel, yeah, maybe I deserve this. We don't. I think that's the message that Paul has for us, and that blank sheet of paper is filled with power. We quite literally are saying in Jesus, not only do I have enough, I have it all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just say thank you for this passage uh, that Paul wrote, inspired by the Spirit of God to remind us that, Father, when we come before you, we have nothing of value of our own. We have not, our righteousness doesn't amount to anything, God. Father, I thank you for the message of the cross. Father, your heart and your love for the very people you created. Father, help us embrace that Jesus truly is our righteousness. That, Father, he is all we need. And that we would truly say with Paul, I simply want to know Jesus. And I want to experience the power of the resurrection. That reward that lies ahead for those who persevere. So, Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Would it uh, kind of rest in our hearts and our minds, I pray, and would it give us freedom? In Jesus' name, amen.